Welcome to the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Gomes. And I'm Anna Cash. Here, we come together to bring you a podcast all about preserving food safely, easily, and dare I say perfectly at home. We are master food preservers, moms, wives, and we love talking about canning. We've decided the world needs a podcast that shares up-to-date, modern, safe information about canning, dehydrating, freezing, freeze-drying, and more. We answer listener questions, teach beginner and intermediate techniques, and share our very best tips for preserving successfully. We'll show you how to find trusted recipes, sources, and more so you never have to second-guess your preserving practices again. Ready to can like a master preserver? Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. Jenny and I are here to give you all the up-to-date preserving advice that we can give. Today, we're going to be doing an easy Q&A. Jenny and I both receive questions on the daily from our listeners, our followers, and also we get them through email. So thank you, everyone, for all the good questions. We're going to go through a list of probably seven to ten. We'll see how many we, we get through. Right, Jenny? Yes. Yes. All right. Let's shoot. Let's go. This is going to be all over the place. So just be prepared. It's going to be great. It's going to be very organized. (laughs) I'm going to start. Anna, if a listener has tomatoes or fruit slowly coming on, so like a couple tomatoes today or a couple peaches are ripe now, can they freeze them as they ripen and can them at a later date? Can you can fruit that has been frozen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially tomatoes are great to just throw in a gallon size bag. When those tomatoes unthaw, you can put them in your sink and let them unthaw in the bag. And when you go to take them out, the skins will actually naturally slip off. So it's like a win-win. You don't have to deal with it right then. And the skins come right off. Oh, there's nothing I hate more than peeling tomatoes. (laughs) except for maybe peeling peaches. So that's a great reason to freeze both of them. And you actually do this often, right, Anna? Mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't done tomatoes just because most of my freezer real estate is with fruit, but Mm -hmm. tomatoes for sure would be on my list if I would get my act together and clean out my freezer. And not to sidestep already on the first question, but uh, you said, I think in our apricot episode that you will can whole fruit, apricot specifically, and then open that jar later in the wintertime when things are mellow and can with that. So that is also safe and sound, right? So I actually make a puree. It's a puree with apricots and lemon juice. And I process the puree. I did make some bottled apricots, but I gave them to a friend. I'm not a huge fan of those, but he loves them. So I did some for him. But the one that I use is the puree. Yeah. And it's in the USDA guide to preserving book. Oh, perfect. Okay. That's That's a great tip too. So a listener asked, My jam is too thick and I've already canned and processed it. What can be done? And before Anna answers this, I just wanted to mention that is a problem I have never had. I always end up with jam that is on the softer (laughs) side than, you know, the Smucker's jar of grape, you know, whatever. My husband grew up eating the, the Smucker's jars. Right. Mine always end up on the softer side. So I've never had this happen. But what can a person do if they do encounter jam that's too stiff? 
Well, I'm with you, Jenny. I usually end up with like a more soft set jam than a, a jam that's too thick, mostly because I don't really use a lot of commercial pectin. But mm-hmm. if you do, and then paired with maybe uh, like a blackberry jam, especially, or a fig jam. That's what this question came from was my friend had sent me some fig jam and she's like, it's going to be really, really a hard set on there. What can I do? I've already processed all these. And in my mind, you just maybe open up the jar, put a little, however much you're going to use in like a little teeny bowl and you could microwave it for maybe Mm -hmm. like 10 or 15 seconds to heat it up. You could also maybe add a little water. I don't know. What would you do, Jenny? I like, I would not personally reprocess a batch of jam because it was too thick. I would just warm it up use by use. I, I think that's just a lot of work to solve a problem that's just more easily remedied by just warming it up and maybe whisking in a little hot water. I would do that. Yeah. The next question is, how can I get crunchy pickled peppers? Anna, what are some tips for getting crunchy pickles? So this is... uh... This is super similar to our pickled veggies episode where we talked about getting produce right when it's ripe and processing it right away. You can also add pickle crisp from Ball. Mm -hmm. I have not looked to see if you can pasteurize pickled peppers. I know you can do cucumber pickles with a pasteurization method, but you know the answer to that? Can you do pickled peppers that way at a lower temperature? I didn't think so because I've never seen it. Mm. I think that's a a no until we know better. I, I wouldn't until we know better. And just for our listeners, yeah. two things. One, we have a whole episode about making awesome pickles. So check that out. Awesome cucumber pickles because there's lots of tips for getting crisp everything in that episode. And then two, pasteurization means that you it's a it's like regular water bath canning, but you're not bringing it to a rolling boil, you're keeping the temperature at 180 degrees, which just keeps your cucumbers crisper for that processing. Yeah. You could also, Jenny, I bet you could do fridge pickled peppers and they would be crispy. Oh, that is, that's a great solution. That'd be the best. That's the best idea. We have a whole episode about making fridge, like as in refrigerator or quick pickles. And that is really the best way to get very, very crisp pickles. And when we did that episode, I made pickled radishes and they are so crisp and cold and salty and vinegary. And just, I stand at the kitchen sink sometimes in the hot afternoon and just have like a cold snack, which is not, I mean, you can put them on tacos, you can put them on sandwiches, you can use them in salads. But if you really want a really crispy, crunchy pickled vegetable, the fridge pickle is probably the best bet. And then the second best would be to uh, probably use a product like Pickle Crisp if you're doing peppers. But if you're doing cucumbers, you can do the pasteurization process. Perfect. Okay. How much is a half a bushel, a bushel, a peck? Anna, can you explain as best you can this unit of measurement that (laughs) that people reference, but uh, many people have no notion of how big a bushel or a peck is? Yeah, so I thought I knew, but then I started reading online and I'm like, this is so confusing. There are lots of different weight measurements for a bushel, but for things like 
that are dry, maybe like peaches or apples, it's going to be by dimension. So it's a basket that is 18 inches by 12 inches. Oh. And then a half bushel is 14 by 10. And for a bushel of wheat is 60 pounds, but it just depends on the weight of the product that you're you're getting. So it's usually when I'm at, let's see, when I'm at the orchard or at a UPIC farm, a full bushel is two five-gallon buckets. Oh. So take that for whatever it is. <laughs> well, that's that explains why people don't know what a bushel is because it's very dependent upon the product. Obviously, that's what this means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, well, thank you for that, Anna. The next question we had from a listener was, is dry canning safe? So I'll explain what dry canning is. And then Anna, you can tell us what to do or if if that's a good idea or not. So dry canning is where people take dry goods like rice or beans or flour or I don't know. I can't, I can't really think of what else. Things that come in large containers. Oftentimes it's like a, it's a, you get a sack, a 50 pound sack of whatever. And then you, people put it into glass jars and put lids on them and then put them in the oven, which the heat from the oven creates some kind of a seal. And that is what dry canning is. And Anna, can you tell us about why we don't recommend doing that? Well, the heat penetration on a dry product is not very good. And so Mm -hmm. that's the reason why you, when you're doing canning, you want something that's liquid so that that heat penetration can work. And, and you see all the time in rebel canning groups, people doing dry canning. I also got a question about dry potato pressure canning, which I had never heard of before. It's basically when they do potatoes, but they don't add any liquid. So you're trying to preserve it almost like a raw pack meat or something, you know, that you don't add liquid to. Supposedly, it keeps your potatoes, they just stay more in their natural state, just a little bit cooked. Because sometimes potatoes, when you can them in liquid, they get pretty mushy or they can. Mm Mm-hmm. And this woman was just asking if dry canning was safe for potatoes specifically. Have you seen that one before, Jenny? Well, I've had people ask that. And I think, you know, to people's defense, it gets a little confusing because you can, I believe you can just raw pack like other root vegetables like beets, right? Uh, No, they have to have liquid. Okay, so beets have to have liquid too. So see, I think that's like one of those problems with the misinformation is that there's misinformation about lots of things and people assume you can just put potatoes in jars with no liquid. But the reason the liquid is required is for heat penetration. Yeah. And the other problem with the dry canning is the heat of an oven is nothing like the heat of a water bath. Like again, with the with the even heat, I mean, anybody who's baked a tray of cookies knows that the heat in the oven is inconsistent. It clicks off and on. One side's going to be hotter than the other. That's why you can have like a, a burnt turkey that's frozen in the middle, right? It's it's not the same type of heat process. Right, exactly. And now a quick word about our courses. Want to learn more about canning? Check out our video courses. Anna's beginner and advanced canning courses are available at smarthomecanning.com. And Jenny teaches a variety of courses, including the super fast steam canning course at startcanning.com. 
Use code POD25 to get 25% off those courses today. That's code POD25 to get 25% off today. Okay, so the next question was about double stacking in your canner. And this is something I haven't done very much of, but Anna, can you explain a little bit about a double stacking in canning? Sure. So a lot of people are very shocked to find that you can do double stacking. It reminds me of like a bunk bed where you have maybe one layer of jars on the bottom and then you have a rack and then you put another layer of jars. I've done this in pressure canning and I've done this in water bath canning. You just have to make sure that you have a rack in between both layers. And it's amazing. It's wonderful. And it cuts down on the amount of time that you're processing something. It's safe. It's recommended. And it's cute. (laughs) It is. You have the cute little bunk bed. And it's useful. It's useful to be able to... I like canning jars. Generally speaking, I like canning in jars that are on the smaller side. I don't want a quart of applesauce. Like I want little containers that I can just eat right out of the jar. It's done. Wash the jar and be done with it. So that's, I just never have had a rack that I thought was in a fit. That's what I need. I need a, a good rack. Yeah. The next question that we got was, tell us about salt preserving, Anna. What was this question about? Well, this question had to do with things like, oh, lemons preserved in salt or salt cured egg yolks Mm. or maybe fish that's packed in salt. It's like a Scandinavian thing with fish packed in salt. Just kind of questions basically around the preservation that people use salt for. You can do it with, you know, all kinds of jerky or like for me, smoked salmon. Anyway, just how is that possible and how all of that. So it works by drawing all the moisture out of the food product, right? Yeah. The salt cured eggs are really interesting. I know. And I see, I've never done that. I don't know anything about it. Is that a recommended process or do we know? So it's not for long-term storage. It's basically like to use in uh, like cooking or uh, we went to this really fancy restaurant last week. It's like the fanciest one in our town. And um, we were just there for like appetizers and stuff. And they had a salad with salt cured yolks. And basically you like separate your egg yolk from the whites and you put it in a bed of salt Uh, for maybe, I can't remember how long, but basically until it dries out. Mm -hmm. And then you can like either grate it on top of a salad or use it. I've never made it or used it or eaten it, (laughs) but I saw it. I have a book that I got when I got chickens by Lisa Steele. And uh, it's a great cookbook for people who have chickens and or love eggs. And that recipe is in there. And I meant to try and do that. And I just never did it. You should. Tell me how it goes. So was it delicious? Was it good on your salad? I didn't end up getting that salad. I got a different one, but everything was good. But I didn't get that salad. I see. Okay, we'll have to report back on that one. I had a couple more questions. We had someone email the podcast and ask about the Presto pressure canner, which is a device that is specifically marketed for pressure canning. And the short answer is that it's not recommended, but it comes with a however. Presto hasn't released their research methods to the public, so cooperative extension offices don't know how they arrived 
uh, at the conclusion that it's safe for pressure canning. And when independently tested, or I think the right word is independently, but but when tested by cooperative extension offices, the issues arose above sea level. So if you're a person who purchased the Presto pressure canner appliance and you were at sea level, I think the official recommendation is use the recipes provided by Presto and you should be fine. If you are in a higher elevation, the official recommendation is don't use it. And I and we can say for sure that issues arose with temperatures not being reached appropriately above sea level. Do you have anything to add to that, Anna? That's kind of a wordy answer. Yeah, no, that that was great. I've also gotten that same information from our local extension office. They've just said when they put the um, the temp check in there, it just didn't sustain or hold the temp necessary for our elevation. So it's not recommended where I'm at, at 4,000 feet, a little over 4,000 feet. But yeah, just, just reach out to your local cooperative extension and see what they have to say. Maybe it's different in your area if you're below sea level, but not in mine, unfortunately. I think it would be great. As a side note, we often use that expression, your local extension. And if you're a person that your local extension isn't local or they don't have a food, any kind of food department, just you can just, you know, pick your your capital cities cooperative extension or any other cooperative extension. I've had to rely on the Utah system yeah. because my local one, we don't have a food department. You know, they deal with like invasive weeds and other important stuff, but they don't do anything with food preservation. So, yeah. What, I have one more question, unless Anna has another one. My last question here was, when you buy a box of new jars, they typically come with lids on them. Can you use those lids? And to explain further, I know this happens to me where I live. Just because I'm in a really rural place, I'm sure jars are packaged and they probably sit in a semi-truck and in a warehouse for a really long time before they make it to you know, local grocery stores or hardware stores. So the lids are always, I'll say, stuck on. They're not truly sealed, but they certainly feel sealed. And Anna, can you use those lids or not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great. I I have even noticed that jars that I have that are still in the package, I have them in my sunroom. And sometimes my sunroom gets kind of hot. And I can hear those pings in there going, pink, yep, pink, you know, yeah. like it's sealing. And then on a cool day, releasing, like that's, that's totally fine. Like they're, you know, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So they haven't been through the canning process yet. So they're safe to use for their one intended trip through the water bath canner or a steam canner or pressure canner. Right. Okay, that's all the questions I have, Anna. Did you have any other uh, listener questions to cover today? No, I think those were all of mine. Okay, perfect. Well, I think that this was an awesome episode where we covered several things that people wonder and want to know more about, and hopefully it was helpful to our listeners. If you ever have questions, listeners, email perfectlypreservedpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to Anna or I on social media. We mostly hang out on Instagram. My handle is at the domestic wildflower and Anna is at smart home canning. We love helping you guys get figured out, get dialed in so that you can have a happy and fun canning season. So keep those questions rolling in guys. That's our show. 
We don't want you to miss an episode, so please be sure to subscribe. If you found this episode helpful and informative, please give our show a rating and review. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps our show grow. Follow us on social media at Smart Home Canning and at The Domestic Wildflower. Email your preserving questions to perfectlypreservedpodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer your questions on the show. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode released every week.